Scarlettos, we are back. And I am looking forward to this episode in particular because, number one, I get to take a little break and sit back and listen to Brittany tell me a story, which is so <laughs> exciting right now. And the reason I'm excited about it is because she's she is excited about the story. So um, without further ado, here is Brittany Sherman talking to me about the Black Dahlia. Well, I told you I was going to throw you a little bit of a surprise. And um, I guess I'll say without further ado, I am not going to cover the Black Dahlia tonight. What? I know. I know. And this was a last minute decision. Like four hours ago, I decided to change it up. And here's why I decided to change it. Because... I can't believe you did that! I what? Kn- I know. So the Black Dahlia is a topic that has fascinated me for years. When we started doing this podcast, I, that was one of the first topics I wanted to cover. And as I really started investigating and learning about the Black Dahlia, uh, what I found is that the information out there is pretty straightforward. Every article I read, every podcast I listened to about it, it all had the same information and none of it was new information from what's been around there forever. And the most interesting information that is out there is all subjective conjecture about who could be responsible for those killings. And there's a lot of really interesting, fascinating narrative conversations about the occult, about devil worship, about uh, really cults. I don't see. I don't. I don't see, know much about the Black Dahlia. So I was see, so looking forward to you telling me. I know, Dang but, it. Here, but here's the issue that I have with it. All of that is just like potentially made up. Like there's no actual real information. Like there's it's not factual and. There's another reason why I wanted to switch it up, because the, this isn't factual information, and a lot of it could be hyperbole. Maybe it's factual. If it is, it's like the most unbelievable story in the world, and at some point, maybe I will get to it. But there's another reason why I wanted, I decided to change it up. Because I wasn't super confident, because the stories were just kind of all over the place, and there wasn't real hard evidence to support it, I wanted to talk about a topic that I felt like I knew just about everything there is to know about it. Oh. And I felt like I'm not going to go off book per se, but something that I feel like I can talk about without needing to, to take notes and read much about it. So the topic I am actually going to cover tonight 
is the Chris Benoit double murder suicide. What the fuck is that? <laughs> uh, I can't believe you threw me for a loop. I'm so excited. This I, is so exciting because now I really don't have to say anything. So oh. I, um, I, almost te- I almost texted you earlier to tell you I, I changed my mind, but I thought, no, I want to get your raw reaction. And, no, uh, I'm, I'm so c- glad you didn't. I'm so glad you didn't. That's awesome. Uh, so, okay. So, Black Dahlia... <laughs> That's I think that's, well Black Dahlia aside, but that's a topic I think I'm going to still continue to go to. I'm going to learn more about because it is interesting. But because there's so much like, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that or maybe it's this or maybe it's that or who knows? Maybe it's this completely different thing. Until I can feel like I get like some real narrowing down. This is more of the likely situation. That's kind of why I wanted to put it off to the side. Okay, so we're still going to talk about the Black Dahlia in the future, but not right now. Exactly, exactly. All right, uh, uh, fair enough. Let's go. Roll with it. All right, so um, Black Dahlia aside, uh, we are talking about the double murder-suicide of Nancy Daniel and Chris Benoit. That took place <gasps> between oh. June 22nd and June 24th, 2007. And based on your response, I think you know what we're talking about. I Is this the wrestling guy? It is the wrestling guy. Oh my God, you totally threw me for a loop. I don't know anything about this, so you are going to have to tell me the story. All right, well, feel free to jump in with questions. But, um, <laughs> so, okay, we, you know, I... Should probably take a deep breath here because we're we're kind of being lighthearted and you know laughing and joking. Uh, this is a very this is an extremely tragic uh, story, and uh, this is one that as as I said at the top, uh, I know very very well and I feel comfortable with. <laughs> not to say that I know everything about it, but I want to take you through not just the crimes, but really the key points in life of Chris and Nancy Benoit leading up to the fateful weekend in June of 2007. So Chris Benoit is a Canadian, was a Canadian professional wrestler. Uh, He was considered a, um, he he was a stellar standout, one of the best in the world. He was a a world champion professional wrestler, uh, air quotes if you want, with world champion. Uh, he, he wrestled all over the world from Mexico to Japan, uh, Canada, and of course in the United States. He got his start in the 80s in Stampede Wrestling, which is known for uh, you wrestling fans out there, and even those who might not be wrestling fans. Uh, it was run by Stu Hart, the father of Brett the Hitman Hart and Owen Hart, and it's where the British Bulldogs came from. And uh, be, it was the, uh, the premier wrestling territory in Canada. And from his roots in Canada, he then went to uh, wrestle in Mexico, where he teamed with who would become his best friend, Eddie Guerrero. 
Uh, Eddie Guerrero was a champion Lucha Libre wrestler. Uh, he comes from a long line of uh, Lucha Libre wrestlers, the Guerrero family. His uh, nephew Chavo, and nephew, he's like a couple years younger than him. Uh, his uh, uncle Chavo Sr. And uh, Eddie was also known around the world. But Chris really gained his biggest popularity when he went to Japan and wrestled as the Pegasus Kid. And Japanese wrestling is known for its more realistic style. It is hard-hitting. They don't pull the punches, per se. The, uh, The hits on the mat are brutal. The kicks are real. The holds are meant to hurt. The choke holds are meant to choke you out. Uh, It's called hard style. And Chris took that to heart and uh, wrestled hard. And he largely mimicked his wrestling style after another wrestler who he met and idolized in Canada in Stampede Wrestling, who also went on to the WWF, Dynamite Kid, who was part of the British Bulldogs. And one of Dynamite Kid's signature moves was a top rope diving headbutt onto a prone opponent laying on the mat. And that... Wasn't that like the Jimmy the Snooker? No, he did like this flying squirrel kind of thing. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what a flying squirrel is, but he does splash, yes. But so, yeah. so imagine instead of a splash and landing on your belly, you are leading with your head and you're landing on your head. So his... Why? Who did that? So that's what Chris Benoit took up after Dynamite Kid, who learned that move from Harley Race. And Harley Race was... Oh, what a, uh, what's a terrible Harley Race. What's that? These are all porn. These sound like all porn names. Oh, but Harley Race was... Uh, he was like a king of Southern wrestling. Literally, his he went by King Harley Race. He... Uh, oh, God. You know, he told... After he did it for years, he told everyone, don't ever do it. It's going to mess up your head. Then uh, Tom Billington, the Dynamite Kid, started doing it, and Dynamite told Benoit, don't do this. Benoit did it and made it his signature move. It looks as bad as it sounds, if not worse. Uh, he, his goal was to dive headfirst and try to connect with the neck, shoulder, head area of his prone opponent. So uh, while Chris was learning the ropes... In Canada and Japan, Nancy Benoit, his future wife, was becoming a staple of Southern wrestling in the NWA and Florida Championship Wrestling, your territory, Sonia. <laughs> I think that uh, the uh, last time I watched wrestling, I think Dusty Rhodes was involved. Well, this would have been maybe the, this, like Ric Flair. This would have been the Dusty Rhodes Ric Flair time, and uh, yeah. So this is the the mid to late eighties. Nancy is getting involved, and she joins a stable. They're called a group of wrestlers led by Kevin Sullivan, <laughs> and Kevin Sullivan <laughs> is this. Uh, character he portrays a character who's a uh, cult leader devil worshiper and 
Nancy goes by the name Fallen Angel uh, as one of Kevin's followers. Well, quickly, life imitates art, and Nancy and Kevin <laughs> fall in love and get married. So uh, now we have Nancy Sullivan and Kevin Sullivan married, and they go in, go from Florida Championship Wrestling to Georgia Wrestling, which would become the WCW World Championship Wrestling. In the 90s, Chris Benoit came back from Japan, and then he signed a long-term contract with WCW in 1995 as a premier featured wrestler. At this time, WCW was uh, famous for, they had Hulk Hogan, they had Macho Man Randy Savage, soon the uh, NWO was going to be famous, and you had guys like Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero that were very small, they're under six foot, they're, uh, they first were considered cruiserweights, which are guys, I don't, I don't know what the standard is, but like under 220 <laughs> pounds or I don't know, something like that. Small guys. What's a cruiser? Like, what is it referring to? A little guy? It's a little guy. Yeah. Th- I think it's a boxing, right. I think it's a boxing term also. Um, I think. I'm going to look it I know, up. I know, there's a, I know there's a UFC division called cruiserweight also. Uh, but essentially, Eddie and and Chris were uh, were premier cruiserweights. They knew each other from working with each other previously, and they found a lot of frustration because they routinely would steal the show by putting on the best performance, but were never considered top caliber guys. So later in the nineties, Kevin Sullivan became head booker. Remember, Kevin is married to Nancy, and head booker means he essentially decides the creative for the show and decides to write a storyline where his real-life wife, Nancy, gets into a relationship with Chris. And the storyline is that Kevin, being living up to his psychotic kind of Satanist type character is too much for Nancy. And so she seeks the consultation or support or whatever. Yeah. That's what she's looking for is his consultation. Exactly. I'm sure he has a big consultation. Yeah. So. Hey, hey, quick. Wait. So back yeah. up. Hold on a second. Kevin Sullivan. Was he a wrestler? He was a wrestler, but he was also like a behind the scenes guy. I feel like he was like from that Sullivan. Wasn't there like a Sullivan family that was like Gordy? No, that was Gordon Sullivan. Was it Gordon Sullivan? No, Gord- that was, was Gordon. The, like Soli. there was an announcer, Gordon right? Soli. So right. Sorry. Yes. Okay, got it. That's the guy I remember with the little comb over. He was so cute. My dad loved that guy. <laughs> yep. He had like these big like glasses he did. He on, so did. and he was always standing between these wrestlers who were spinning all over him. Yes. Yeah, that's totally true. <laughs> he had such a distinct voice. Yeah, he, I like that guy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, all right, sorry. So, and I digress. Yeah, yeah. So, keep going. So, Kevin writes this narrative of uh, Nancy and Chris uh, starting to have a an on screen relationship because uh, Kevin is out of line and Nancy can't take it anymore. And they start to shoot these vignettes where, um, you know, Nancy is starting to fall for Chris. At the same time, Chris is going through a divorce of his own. Well, once you know it, lo and behold, life imitates art, and they're spending so much on-screen time together that they develop a relationship off-screen. And uh, ultimately, <laughs> Nancy leaves Kevin for Chris. 
And this, uh, <sighs> as oftentimes <laughs> does in wrestling, when real life kind of interacts with wrestling, it bleeds onto the screen. And so Chris and Kevin have this, like, blow-off, uh, no-holds-barred, violent match to uh, end it all. And I don't think it was explicit, but, you know, the, the idea being winner gets Nancy. Now, Kevin Sullivan would go on to say, at this point, there were actually no hard feelings. That was all character because he and Nancy had been separated for eight months anyway. There are others that argue this and say, no, in fact, Nancy's sister is one of them also. Nancy's sister was at a show one night, but Nancy was not. And Kevin and Chris got into a real life backstage fight. And Kevin was asking her to ride with him. Chris said, no, come with me. And uh, Nancy was on the phone told her sister, no, get in the car with Chris. At the time, Nancy was still married with Kevin. Chris took Nancy's sister to see Nancy, and Nancy was battered and bruised, and she claims that it was from Kevin abusing her. Kevin denies these allegations for what it's worth. There you have it with the, uh, the start, the tumultuous start of the Chris Benoit Nancy Sullivan relationship. Nancy gets pregnant, has a son. They got married. Their son was the best man. They're living a happy life. But Chris is still frustrated with his position in WCW. And Kevin Sullivan now is kind of running WCW. And Kevin sees Chris as his top guy to lead WCW into the future, so decides to make him their world champion. And Chris wins the world title and quits in the same night and takes Nancy with him, along with his best friend, Eddie Guerrero, and two other guys named Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko. And they show up the next night on number one competitor, WWF, as the Radicals. And now this is the next big moment in Chris Benoit's life. He is promised a lot of success in WWF. Uh, He is seen as the A-plus player in the group of four. And he is excited and proud to be... uh, to be beyond WCW and beyond the confines of Kevin Sullivan. So at this point, WWF is still still favoring the big hulking guys that you always saw in 80s and 90s wrestling. And, well, Chris, by any standard, had an impressive physique. He still was a short guy and couldn't stand up to the real big top strong guys. So like many wrestlers do, it is highly suggested that Chris started on steroids. And if he didn't start on them, he was continuing on them despite the quote unquote ban on the use of steroids. Mm -hmm. He 
would have a uh, a pretty successful run in WWF over the the course of the first few years. He was in what would be considered the mid card. He was not a a top guy, but he was still successful. Uh, he fought through a lot of injuries because he fought through the injuries and didn't take the time off like he should have. He developed a painkiller habit. Then in 2005, a night that probably was the linchpin point for Chris Benoit before he took his family's life, Eddie Guerrero, his best friend for the last 10 years, was found dead in a hotel room by Eddie's nephew, Chavo. Chris was destroyed. He became a a different person. He would go to work. He did his business, and left. There was no friendly interaction. There was no, uh, the the personality, if not the person in Chris Benoit, was gone. He was destroyed because a year and a half before Eddie's death, Chris and Eddie shared the spotlight with confetti falling down at the, uh, pinnacle moment of Wrestlemania 20 and that's a moment that the two of them always fought to achieve and they were able to share the spotlight at the end of the night together in Madison Square Garden which is considered the uh, the greatest venue in sports indoor sports I guess you could say it's worth noting Eddie was 38 at the time of his death his official cause of death was uh a cardiac arrhythmia leading to arrest. He was clean. He did not have drugs in his system, but he had a long storied use of drug use that is believed to have led to the essentially overworking of his heart. And his, even though he was clean at the time, his heart couldn't take it anymore. So in the immediate aftermath of Eddie's death, Eddie's wife, Vicky Guerrero, was inconsolable, and knowing that Eddie and Chris were so close, Nancy spent a week at the Guerrero's house helping the kids, helping Vicky, and getting essentially getting the family back to normal. And while she was doing that, no one was there to support Chris. And so Chris went into a tremendous, terrible, deep depression. At one point... Nancy filed for a restraining order and filed for a divorce, called Vicky for help. Vicky called a neighbor to step in, and the neighbor stepped in. Chris and Nancy pretended to be amicable, and within 48 hours of filing for a restraining order, the divorce was called off, and Chris and Nancy were back together. Also during this time... Nancy and Vicky got together and thought as a way of trying to help Chris get by this, get through the death of Eddie, they would give him a journal. And Chris wrote letters to Eddie in his journal. So in June of 2007, Chris Benoit, his personality was continuing to deteriorate. Uh, he had never fully gotten over the death of Eddie. He, had, he was continuing to struggle. And he was put in this tournament to compete for the vacated ECW championship. He was in the finals uh, against 
the wrestler known as CM Punk, and they were going to wrestle Sunday, June 24th, 2007, at the pay-per-view called Vengeance. The way the story goes is on June 22nd, Friday, Chris and Nancy Benoit were outside by their pool, and they had an argument. And Chris was never someone who drank and did drugs. After the death of Eddie Guerrero, he became a drinker. Not what you might consider a heavy drinker, but enough that it was uncharacteristic for Chris. So on the night of the uh, 22nd of June, both Chris and Nancy had been drinking. It is suggested that they had an argument. A half-drink bottle of wine, which really isn't that much, was... Not for two not people. A, not in my yeah, house. <laughs> well, no. I mean, yeah, it's really not that much. So, you know, that maybe maybe there was more that there was thrown away or something, but was found outside. And it is suggested, based on the evidence that would be found later, that Chris tied Nancy's arms, her wrists and ankles behind her, carried her to their bedroom, kneeled on her back, strangled her, and Chris's signature finishing move was called the Crippler Crossface, where he would wrench someone's neck back until they tapped out or submitted. So it's not that he did that move to her, but what he did is he took ligature, yanked it around her neck, pulled it so hard that the pressure between the uh, ligature on her neck and his knees on her back called her, caused her back to break. And she suffocated. What the fuck? Why did he tie? Wait, <clears throat> hold on. So he pretty much hog tied yep, her. That's pretty much right. Wait, no. I mean, well, not, he didn't not- tie her wrists and ankles together, but he t- tied tied her wrists together and her ankles together. Oh, yeah. Okay, got it. Behind her. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got so it. She couldn't. She couldn't fight back. Why did he do that? Why? Probably because so she couldn't defend herself. I mean, not that he needed to. No, but I mean, why in general? Why did he kill well, her? Why we'll, did we'll he want to hurt that. her? We'll get to that. So that was on Friday night. On Saturday, Chris was supposed to go to what's known as a house show. Uh, which is a wrestling show that's not televised. It's usually in front of a, a smaller crowd. And he called Chavo, Eddie's cousin, uh, Eddie's nephew, excuse me, and said, hey, I'm not going to make it. Nancy and Daniel have food poisoning, and I'm in the hospital with them. Nancy's throwing up blood. I can't make it tonight. But I'll make it to Houston for the pay-per-view tomorrow. Okay, cool. Take care of your family. You know, we'll deal with it. Then, early in the morning on uh, Sunday, the 24th, Chavo, as well as a uh, WWE referee, Brad Armstrong, get very strange text messages. They are identical, and they say, this is my address. The dogs are out by the pool. The gate is open. From Chris. Who did they get? Wait, who got that? Chavo note? Guerrero, Eddie's nephew, and Brad Armstrong, 
a WWE referee. Oh, I know that name. Do you? Okay. So yeah, Brad Ar- Armstrong. Okay. I know. I mean, my limited knowledge of wrestling. Uh, okay. So what happens? So uh, Chavo didn't think it any thought it was weird, but didn't think much of it. He uh, essentially replied to the text message and thought, okay, I, you know, I'll pick you up at the airport in a few hours because he was expected to meet, pick him up at the Houston airport for the event that night. We never heard from Chris. Chris uh, never confirmed his flight. And so throughout the day, everyone started wondering where Chris is, where Chris is. Uh, someone said that they had a, another conversation that Chris said that uh, now his uh, son was vomiting blood and in the ER, which is actually contradictory. He said the day before that Nancy was vomiting blood and in the ER and Chris was with them, but he'll catch a later flight. So don't worry about it. Well, they still couldn't get a hold of him. It was uh, getting close to the start of the show. And so someone from WWE security called the local police uh, uh, in Chris's hometown and said, can you go do a welfare check? It's for one of our wrestlers, Chris Benoit. The police get there. They don't know what they're going to see. The dogs are out just like the text messages said. And the dogs are uh, curtailed. They're fine. And, uh, you know, move to the side. Officers get in the house and they find Nancy's body face down in the bed, tied up like we discussed. With a Bible next to her. Now, Chris was never one to, he was never a religious guy. But Eddie turned to religion after he started to get clean and he started to get his best friend, Chris, involved in religion. Chris was never, still never followed it, but started to read some passages and start to find his way through Christianity, I guess you could say. Hmm. The police then continue their way through the house, and they come to Daniel's bedroom. Daniel's seven years old. He is face down in a pillow, under a pillow, on his bed, dead. Now, strangely, there's also a knife next to Daniel's bed, but there is no evidence that the knife was used against Daniel. So now there's obviously a double murder, and they still have not found the person they were sent to try and find in the house, Chris. So now they're concerned that they have a violent person possibly still in the house and they draw their guns and they start looking for him so they look throughout the house they go down to the basement where chris has a gym a home gym and they see chris benoit tied up around the neck with gym cord and hanging from the top of a gym unit that is being supported or pulled down by excessive weights. Uh, so he snapped his neck and killed himself. The, uh, the WWE superstars were conf- informed of the, the uh, events, the findings, I guess you could say, just before that show went on the air. I don't know how they went through with the show, but they did. The next day, an investigation continues. 
that night, now Monday night, June 25th, WWE goes on the air with a tribute show to Chris Benoit. Because at this point, they say that they have been informed that the three of them have died. But they have not been told how they have died. Now, this is obviously, it's a, it's a point of controversy. Because this is more than 24 hours later, and it's pretty amazing that the police would not have reported their findings 26 hours earlier or whatever it was. So WWE goes on the air with a tribute show. You've got all sorts of superstars crying, talking about how great he was. They show his best moments as a wrestler. It's a, it's a really you know, great, beautiful show. WWE claims that two hours into the three-hour show is about when they found out the true matters of the, the events of the death. That Chris actually was responsible for killing his wife and child and then taking his own life. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. What? So how he, how did they not know that? And why didn't they check into it before they, I mean, what? He was, he killed himself. Two people died that couldn't have killed themselves. He was the only likely suspect. How did they not know that before they did some kind of like. Well, one of the thoughts was carbon monoxide poisoning because they had, they claim, and this is supported by a lot of people, they thought that it could have been carbon monoxide poisoning or some sort of freak accident that killed all three of them that they didn't know. Her hands were tied and her feet They're were tied. Claiming they didn't have that information yet. Oh my god. I know. What the what a mess. Now, well, what happened? So what happened? They halfway through what so, did they did they so stop? They, did they They finished the show? Um now <laughs> you might be familiar with a wrestler named Chris Jericho. He's a pretty famous guy. I guess no, so. maybe not. Okay. Uh no. Well, he says he was watching that show. I don't know if he was. I don't know if he was with WWE at the time or not. But he said he was watching that show, and he said that he has a hard time believing that WWE didn't know, because during one of their like one of the wrestler videos paying tribute, there was almost like a a cryptic message that pretty much it was something like, "I used to think that I would." never trust anyone else more with my family and he just thought that is a really strange thing for someone to say what who said that uh it i'm not quoting that exactly but uh another wrestler by the name of i think you get went by william regal at the time and why would he say something like that was he saying it about about Chris Benoit, or was he just saying it in general? He was saying it about Chris Benoit, so that's the question. Why would he phrase it in such a weird way? Chris Jericho feels like some people knew something, and they just weren't saying it. So WWE goes off the air. The news starts to flood with the facts of what actually happened. The next night, they have another show. And WWE chairman Vince McMahon, who ran the previous show, starts the show saying, we did what we thought was the right thing to do since that time. New evidence has come to light. This is the last you will hear Chris Benoit's name mentioned on this program. And Chris Benoit's name has never been mentioned on WWE ever since. But don't you think that's, I mean... To, uh, 
I mean, I'm, I think that's, I don't know, I guess the right thing to do. But, I mean, think about the underlying reasons behind his behavior, which is probably that, you know, prefrontal lobe damage from wrestling. Exactly. And then, I I mean, we all know that Vince McMahon is an opportunist. So any time that he can over-dramatize something to his benefit, he does. So making a statement like that, I mean, he, he didn't have a choice. Well, but, I mean, yes and, I yes feel and like no. that, that in and of itself was an act. I agree with whoever said that they knew. Um, I, I don't disagree with you that Vince McMahon is an opportunist, but I think when you're talking about a murder, that's a different thing. That's a different level. When you're talking about events happening in the world, in the media, even your own people that can kind of be written off as a period in life or something, yes, he's absolutely an opportunist. But now it's talking about getting involved in a murder investigation and i think that's i personally that's my opinion of the difference i i guess but how is he getting involved in a murder i mean how i mean sure they reported too quickly without getting their facts straight but i'm not sure that that meant that they participated in any way in the murders No, no no i agree but i think that they wanted to do everything that they could to distance themselves from chris he he was completely hmm. removed now you they you can you can look all over WWE you will not find his name anywhere like his wrestling matches you can still find on their streaming network but if you search for Chris Benoit on their streaming network it comes up empty it's only if you know where to look will you be able to find them because they're part of a larger program uh but more importantly, let's talk about exactly what you just said, that prefrontal lobe damage due to the activity, the profession, the livelihood that he was in. And let's talk about that diving headbutt that he did thousands upon thousands of times. There was one wrestler whose name is Chris Nowinski who retired from wrestling to get into neuroscience after he had six concussions. And he asked Chris at one point in his career, how many concussions have you had? And Chris said, I can't even tell, I can't count how many. So there is no doubt that he had tremendous brain damage. So much so that his brain was autopsied afterwards. It had severe CTE which we all know is what's found largely in a lot of uh, NFL players now. And it's actually suggested that the rate of CTE and early death of wrestlers could be double that of NFL players suggested. I have heard that said. I don't have the confirmed science to back that up. So I want to emphasize that. That doesn't surprise me because they don't have any gear on that's protecting them, and they bang each other on the head with folding chairs. That's exactly right. And after that, and, and after, <laughs> I mean, so after Chris Benoit, they outlawed exactly the act that you just said, banging each other on the head. No, I swear. Yeah, really? yeah, absolutely. They definitely did. Oh, they um, <laughs> they got rid of like allowing that diving headbutt or allowing that head first type of contact. They had a drug policy previously. And after Chris Benoit, they strongly started to enforce it. 
And in addition to the CTE, Chris had a, uh, a posthumous blood test done to check for drugs in his system. He had some alcohol in his system because there were half-drank bottles of wine found all around the house, not just by the pool, where Nancy was probably killed or at the very least tied up. But no illegal drugs, no real prescription drugs, no steroids, but he had 10 times the normal amount of testosterone in his body. And if you listen to a WWE attorney... He will tell you that that's not uncommon for someone getting over steroid usage because steroids decrease the amount of testosterone in your body. And when you stop using steroids, you need to replenish your lost testosterone. Others will tell you that is a way to get around using steroids by increasing your testosterone levels. Huh. Interesting. All right. The way the services of... Nancy and Daniel were attended only by one WWE participant, Jim Ross, who was a talent relations guy and on-screen play-by-play guy. He was asked to leave. Chris Benoit had a private service only with his surviving son, David, from a previous marriage and Chris's ex-wife and immediate family. In the time after hmm. the murders, that you diary that he was given so he could write to Eddie was found and read. And it had some very telling signs in there. And it would almost read like someone whose mental capacity and sanity was deteriorating. Even as much saying as, I know I'll be seeing you soon. I'm coming to be with you. So, so he had, so you feel like that he, he obviously had this planned. Yes, absolutely. This was not. Why though? Why? Like, how do you have it planned and then kill your wife and your son too? Well, like why? Because that seems like to me that was something, I mean, maybe it was planned, but like, why, you know, kill yourself. Why kill them? Well, a hundred percent. Exactly. So he, uh, not only did he have terrible CTE, he had the brain of an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. So he clearly was not in the right mental capacity. He, leading up to that time in the 18 months between Eddie's and Chris's death, Chris was exhibiting more violent behavior, more erratic behavior. He wasn't himself. Whether or not he intended to take that action the weekend of June 22nd to the 24th, or it was something that snapped in him that weekend that led him to choose then. Maybe he was planning on just killing himself. Maybe he had some sort of demons talking to him in his diseased brain. We'll never know exactly what caused it. It was a hideous, disgusting murder, and it changed wrestling forever. Uh, As I said, there are no more chair shots to the head. There are no more what are called pile drivers where you throw a guy straight down on his head. There's no more diving headbutts or leading with your head. There are stricter drug policies. But regardless, three people, two completely innocently, including a seven-year-old boy, lost their life due to what many people will argue was negligence 
in the way that a business worked for generations and the only way that Chris felt like he could succeed. I mean, don't you think that still exists in the in the world of wrestling, though? I, I mean, think it definitely does. Uh, I think that there are other wrestling companies out there, absolutely, that still do it. I think that... I think that WWE tries to do the right thing. I think that they say the right things, but whether or not they're actually doing the right things, it's hard to tell. Here, I'm going to ask you. Yes, this. please do. <clears throat> what do you What do you think about Vince McMahon as a person? Uh, as a As an individual person or as a businessman? Those are different. They are. That's as a why I'm asking. Um. It's hard to say because they're different, but they're also kind of the same because his business es- business ethics drive his personal ethics. And if it's right for his business, it will compromise his personal ethics. But I think it's the reverse, too. I think I, more so your bi- your personal ethics should drive your I business ethics. I think they ethics. should, but you I know, don't think they shouldn't case, change they because of money. Do. I agree. They shouldn't change because of money. But I think with a lot of shrewd businessmen, and I'm not saying that, and women, and I'm not saying this to to protect them or support them, I don't think that's the way that it works. Uh, you mean hip for him? No, so him, and I think a lot of people. I don't think he's unique in that situation. I think there are a lot of business people no. that operate that way. I guess. I would just say that in his business, he's in the business of exploitation of people. And so I guess maybe by nature, that is the case. I mean, it's a, he, ex, he at times will exploit his himself to yes. help profit. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, so, I was just going to say, it, just, it's, it's his people, but he'll do it himself, too. He will put himself out there. For better or worse. Well, yeah, he's very much a, um, a you know, he's he's very visible in oh, that sure. industry, um, and as part of what he does. I mean, he's he's one of the characters. He is a character. Yeah, he uh, he was one of their biggest characters for a few years. It's crazy. That's so sad. A- I don't understand why you would. So go back. Okay. How the boy was seven. The boy was seven. How did he die? Uh, the he was. Oh, good question. Uh, he was. Heavily drugged with Xanax and suffocated, most likely with a pillow. Oh, really? Yes. So he had to die at the hands of his father. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and that's the thing. So Nancy was killed on Friday night. Daniel is was most likely killed on Saturday morning, and Chris stayed in the house until probably mid morning. Sunday until he killed himself. What? Yeah. That's crazy. So what the heck was he? I mean, he must have been in some kind of state of mind. Uh, yeah, it, Can you imagine what he was like walking around his house? Well, exactly. I uh, I just, I can't, I mean, I, I can only imagine some sort of psychosis. Like I can't, I can't imagine any other mm-hmm. way that you could be. I, and he's, you know, leaving voicemails and, and sending text messages. But... You know, he even he even talked on the phone though to a couple of people. I, you know, they they like claimed that he sounded like he was in distress, like he was, you know, disturbed. But I just, I, I can't I can't imagine what huh. the, for over twenty four hours he walked around a house with his dead wife and son. Yeah, I mean, what happened? I mean. He, 
he killed his wife, obviously, and then what on Friday night, and then he probably realized that by Saturday morning, his son would find out right. that his That's wife was no too. longer living, exactly. and he didn't really have a choice. Well, he felt there, like he, so he probably felt like my son's going to find out, and I either turn myself mm-hmm. in, and he probably wasn't in the right state of mind, and did what he the worst possible took the worst possible route. Um, it's just, it's, yeah. it's, that's so sad. It's so sad. And you want to, you know, you want to talk about Vince McMahon and, and how he exploits them. Uh, Chris had an older son, David, from, from a previous marriage, as I mentioned. WWE did not once reach out to David to support him. They did not reach out to Nancy's family to support them. And it wasn't until, Last year, 2019, 12 years after the horrific events, that David and Nancy's sister got together again for the very first time. And that was at the behest of Chris Jericho, who arranged for the two of them to meet and get together. That's terrible. That is a horrible story. I know. It's Thank you, Brittany. You're welcome. I'm sorry I brought you down. But you brought me down. No, to the it's okay. Yeah, no, I okay. It's no, I know. I mean, it's hard to talk about these it subjects, it's, it's and they're terrible. not lighthearted. Ter- no, they're not at all. It's it's really tragic. Uh, you know, to to cover my sources, um, Vice TV did a a docu series called "The Dark Side of the Ring," and they did a two part episode specific to Chris Benoit, the uh, the podcast "Something to Wrestle." with Bruce Pritchard, a Sports Illustrated article, Wikipedia. Um, there's, I, uh, what's happened in 2007, so I, I've read a lot and watched a lot since that time, but these are the ones that I particularly recently focused on that, that kind of gave me the, the most fresh information. Do you guys, do you feel, do you guys, do you feel like that, um, I mean, I'd like to think that the WWE as well as the NFL is taking, you know, head trauma seriously, um, do you feel like, cause you still watch wrestling, I think, do you feel like that there's some progress there? I mean, cause they don't wear any protection. Well, yeah. Like, like, just like I said, you know, they got rid of chair shots. They got rid of, uh, head to head or head first impact. They, I think have gotten rid of blood or intentional bleeding. Sometimes that happens just on accident, but most of the times when we see blood in wrestling, it's intentional. Uh, so I think that's outlawed. So I think they are taking those things. I think they are taking them seriously. Uh, their their drug policy has gotten much more stringent. And most of these things are a direct result of Chris Benoit. And they might not tell you that it was direct. They might tell you that it was, those were policies that were in place, but they were just very lax and became more stringent. But most people will tell you it's directly because of the Chris Benoit murders. Hmm. So, back to the drugs. Do Do you mean like illegal drugs, or well, I mean, I guess that could still be steroids. What kind of drugs are they testing for? What? I mean, I would say that most of those folks should probably be smoking marijuana <laughs> because they're probably in pain. Uh, well, like what? What kind of drugs are you? Refer- are is there? Are there specific or just everything? Uh, it, I don't know. I I don't I I haven't read their drug policy. I don't know if it's available to be read, but if you hear people talk about it, it's pretty stringent. 
marijuana is on that list. Steroids are definitely on that list. Uh, anything that could be even considered a slight performance-enhancing drug or illegal drug, uh, cocaine. I think painkillers are allowed, assuming that they're prescribed. I would hope to God that they're allowed because the amount of damage those bodies go through, I can't imagine why they wouldn't be allowed. But I have really no idea, but I've heard it's very stringent. That's crazy about pot because, like, I mean... <laughs> well, but hang on a second. Really? Well, yeah, but, uh, but also hang on a second. They are... I think they're incorporated, I think, in Connecticut. That's where their headquarters are. But they are a national and even global company. So they're on the road, except for right now, all the time. So you're going potentially from one state to the next to the next, night after night after night. If pot's legal in one state, it's illegal in the next state. You kind of have to have a, an across-the-board policy, I would think. Yeah, I guess. I just think it's kind of silly. I mean, uh, and by the way, anybody who says that pot is a performance-enhancing drug has doesn't know anything about <laughs> pot because it's not enhancing I don't anything. Think, I don't, when Michael Phelps got in trouble for pot, I was like, this is so dumb. He, he, it did not, no. I mean, seriously. Like, he would be so much faster if he smoked or he didn't smoke. So God bless him, you know, like actually maybe gave those other guys a fighting chance. I mean, I think it's just silly. Um I think that there's something about the NFL policy that's changing now and being able to use cannabis, or maybe they're using CBD. Something has to change. I mean, these guys. Well, I think CBD I mean, is different. Talk about getting hooked on narcotics. Well, yeah, I mean, well, CBD is is legal in the entire country, but yeah, yeah, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to tell you that CBD and other narcotics are not on the same playing field. They aren't. CBD doesn't have any kind of hallucinogenic qualities at all. And it's really just... CBD a, also it, it, does not provide largely the same relief. Oh, are you saying that it does... Oh, uh, well, maybe, I guess. You mean you're saying that CBD doesn't provide the same relief that TB, the THC does? No, I'm saying CBD doesn't... From a pain standpoint? I'm, no, pain... THC doesn't touch pain. I'm saying THC doesn't touch pain at the level that an oxycodone does. No, of course but not. That, oh my but god! But that's why if you say that you can't, you can't say that you can take CBD over other prescription narcotics. They're not the same. They don't do the same thing. No, no, no. I, I would agree with you. I mean, certainly beyond a certain point, CBD or THC is not going to help. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. No, it's but if it can, I mean, if it can help a bit, I would say you know, I mean, I consider to marijuana to so be effective for pain between anything more than a Tylenol can take care of, but less than like, you know, a Vicodin. Like there's like a tiny little sweet spot where it's like just enough. To, I think like, if you get it strong enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably true. Yeah. If you get it strong enough, yeah. you know, because yeah, I mean, cause some of that stuff's pretty, pretty hardcore, but true. I mean, ugh. so, uh, ugh. well, little, that was very interesting. Little conspiracy theory to wrap this up. Oh, as you were talking about, is how is it possible that the WWE didn't know about these events beforehand? The night between Daniel's murder and Chris's suicide, Wikipedia reported that Chris Benoit was going to be replaced in his championship match with John Morrison because of an illness in the family that hadn't been reported yet. 
Also that night, that post was deleted by Wikipedia, and then another post came up reporting the deaths of his family. That first post came from Stamford, Connecticut, the home of the WWE headquarters. The second post came from somewhere in Australia. Both posts were flagged and deleted by Wikipedia for not meeting their standards of qualification. Of course, there's a question of how did those posts ever make it up there? And you can still see them, I think, mm. because uh, you can do like a historical edit or historical read or something of Wikipedia posts. Hmm. I mean, it, I I would not be surprised if the WWE knew. It's, um, I, you know, it, it's hard to imagine that they didn't know. It's, they knew something. It's hard to imagine that they would move forward with a tribute show if they did, though. I know. Think about what that means. I know, exactly. Think about, think about their priorities. and. But, I mean, here, what I don't understand is how would they not know? They knew that he hung himself. They they claim that he knew that other he knew that other, they knew that other two other people died in the house, unless someone else came on in and killed those other two people. I mean, Crystal, you know what I mean? Like well, I they don't, don't know. I don't know that they they claim they did not know that he hung himself, and it's possible that it was a triple homicide. Oh, hmm, interesting. I'm gonna go read Wikipedia right now. I want to see that. <laughs> Huh. All right, interesting. That was a good one, so Brittany. That is the tragic story of the murders of Nancy and Daniel Benoit and the suicide of Chris Benoit. Hmm, that was sad. It is sad, but I'm glad I got you one that you are uh, not familiar with. I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't follow wrestling that much. Um, but I mean, I knew it was a sad situation. I didn't know the extent um, about you know the conditions of his wife and then his little boy. That's it's just, just really terrible. sad. It's horrible. And I mean, I think that what you said to you know back to the the brain damage. Um, you know, we have to take that seriously, and and I'm glad that there was evidence showing you know that that there was something behind his actions. Absolutely, I agree. We'd love to hear from you guys as well. You know, if you have suggestions or you want to hear us talk about certain things, feel free to share. You know, some of the things that we find particularly important is to support other independent podcasters and in a way to uh, branch out and connect with others and support the independent podcast community. Uh, We have a couple uh, little shout outs that we want to provide. So I have a couple shout outs that I would love to do. Some folks that I've worked with in the past and had communication with and I find quite lovely. Um, the first would be um, Music City 911, Brandon Hall. You guys should take a listen. I, um, I, he's a 911 dispatcher from Nashville, Tennessee. Very entertaining. I love his approach and I cannot stop listening to his voice. And the other podcast that I'd like to give a shout out to is Meanwhile at the Studio. Some guys in my hometown, you know, who created a podcast um, environment in in a recording studio there. And um, they're doing really great. So I did some, I sat in with them a couple of times and we had some fun. So please uh, take a listen to their trailer as well. Meanwhile at the Studio. Check out a couple other podcasters that uh, support us and we want to give them some support. 
Hey, fellow Scarlet True Crime listeners. I'm Cece, the host of a new true crime podcast, Sooner State True Crime. As a born and bred Okie, I'll cover cases based in my wonderful home state of Oklahoma. The term Sooner actually refers to cheaters in the land run, my state's very first true crime. New episodes are released twice a month in Apple Podcasts and most podcast apps. Or visit our website, anchor.fm slash crime state to listen now. So come away with me to my crime state on the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. And please stay Sooner safe out there, y'all. Hi, everyone. I'm Ariel Cooksey, host of Malice. When violent acts occur, we tend to think the predators are monsters. Surely no human could do such things. But if we're honest, only humans commit malicious crime. And if you're like me, you want to know why. To find out, join me at Malice, wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye. Hey, y'all. I'm Brandon Hall. I'm one of the hosts of Music City 911, a podcast about the good, the bad, and the dark side of 911 dispatching. Me and my co-hosts are 911 dispatchers with over 60 years of experience. Join us as we play 911 calls and discuss them. Oh, did I mention that we get dark? 911, what's your emergency? I just shot everybody right now. You just shot everybody? And how many people did you shoot? Uh, three. Four, five, 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 five. There's some shots. 453, I have a point of shot here at the rescue hot. We got multiple casualties. This is a mass casualty situation here. My brother's attacking my family. They shot my husband. And they shot my daughter. And they shot me. Stop it! He's in the with her. Stop it! Stop it! You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Music City 901, and we're downloadable on every podcast platform. We want to give a shout out to the Pod All the Time podcast network that we, Scarlet TCP, are proud members of. Other members of the Pod All the Time podcast network are Creative Intuitive, Another Digital Citizen, History of a Haunting, Round and Round the Podcast. Real AKA Truth Podcast, Ruck Up Podcast, Random Unnamed Podcast, Suburban Folk, Three Peas in a Podcast, Raw Sex Podcast, I Think We're Doing It Podcast. So if you like what you're hearing from Scarlet TCP, check out these other shows, the members of the Pod All the Time Podcast Network. Alrighty. Thank you, Scarlettos. Stay healthy. Stay safe. We are the ladies of Scarlet. Keep killing it. Later, Scarlettos. (laughs) 